You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Make sure that you turn your cell phones on silent, please, and uh, have something that I want to give to you. And uh, something that I've had in mind for a while, I preach a message like this, I would say at least once a quarter, maybe even more than that at times, but looking at that building next door and looking at really just the the mess that we have been confronted with recently, I, I seriously could not believe what I was seeing in the Southern Baptist Convention, and I'm not, rec- I'm not recommending that you watch it or anything. We're not Southern Baptists, so you know it, do- it, do- it doesn't really matter as far as we are concerned. We don't, we don't report to a convention or a hierarchy or, or anything like that. Um, but uh, just absolutely incredible the th- the things that I was hearing uh, at, at at a Baptist uh, among Baptists. You know, we're, we're not that far off as far as our beliefs are concerned. Um, there's no standards, but, you know, there, we're not far off as far as our, our beliefs are concerned. And standing up, talking about women preachers, and one of them came up and said something real, real clear. And he said, I, I want to tell you, if we need to hire a committee, if we need to start hiring committees in our convention to define every single word in the Bible, we're dead. We're dead. We're done. And then another one stood up and said, if we're going to vote for women pastors today and we vote yes, we may as well vote for gays and we may as well vote for for every other type of pastor out there because that's what every single other denomination went. And you guys aren't looking down the line at at where we're heading. And and liberals can never tell you. It doesn't matter if it's a liberal politician, if it's a liberal in religion, no matter what. Liberals will never tell you, can never tell you where they're going. They can only tell you what they're leaving. They can never tell you what they're for. They can only tell you what you're against. Oh, gun control, gun control. We hate guns. Okay, then what do you want? What is gun control to you? Well, we don't know, but we need to get them off the street. How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? Well, a uh, gun grab, right, for the criminals too, right? Because the criminals will, will give up theirs. And then once you get those off, what about knives? What about knives? You know? And then after that, rocks. And then after that, you know, we have these things. You know, the first murder was committed with a hand. So, but they can't tell you. They can't tell you that. I was just appalled at what I saw. And then when I saw what the Methodists did, 90% of Methodist clergy that was asked to vote for this, 90% voted for gay clergy. It, just absolutely incredible. And this is what we're up against. And this is the battle that we face. The, what is incredible, though is we must understand that God has fitted us for this time. And I know parents especially, we're, we're not really worried about ourselves. We're worried about our kids. And we're worried about what is the country going to look like for them? What is this church going to look like for them? And, and I want you to remember, church, I want you to remember, it wasn't but 70 years ago. When, when did Elvis come up? Dad, you would know the answer to this question. <laughs> You're, you're a liar. What, 50s. 50s, right? Why did you sing it all the time to me then? When... <laughs> I want you to remember, it was 70 years ago when he came out and his music came out, and this country was up in arms at his music and at his mannerisms 
and everything. And only 70 years, look at where the world is now as far as music and mannerisms is concerned. And now the church, the church has music in it that is much worse than Elvis ever brought to the table. Where's the church going to be 70 years from now? We need to take a stand now. And I want to preach a message that I'm going to call, I'm in. I'm in. I want to know who else is in. I'm in. I'm on the Lord's side. Now, hold on. No, hold on. Hold on. This ain't a pep rally. This is a prep study. Because plenty of churches started by saying, oh, yeah, we're in it. And they're dead today. They're dead today or worse. They're lukewarm and yet still existing. God would rather this church be dead than preaching a lukewarm false gospel. So yeah, I'm in. Wait a second. Wait a second. Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. Verse 1, then Jerubal, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, 32,000 soldiers, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the hosts of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, what every general and every leader wants to hear, the people that are with thee are too many. For me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart. I, oh, this word gets me. Early. Before the battle even starts. Let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. You know what God is saying? If you're going to quit halfway through, don't even start. Don't even start. I'd rather you quit now than quit right in the middle of the battle because there might be somebody right next to you who really needs you at that point. If you quit now, you're just kind of affecting yourself. If you quit right in the middle of the battle, that's a huge hit to morale. If you're going to quit halfway through, don't even start. Hey, husband. If you're going to quit halfway through your marriage, don't even start. Church member, if you're going to quit halfway through, don't even start. Don't do it. Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early and go home. And there returned on the people 20 and 2,000. There remained 10,000. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. I'm going to put them to the test. It shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down unto the water. The Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. The number of them that lapped, 
putting one hand, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men. What do you think they're holding in the other hand here? Okay, and they're, they're, they're being circumspect, sober, vigilant, because their adversaries right there. You know, they're at war. But then there's 21,700 who throw everything to the side and get down on their knees and you're not taking those to battle. Very interesting. And the Lord said unto Gideon, by the 300 men that lapped, will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand and let all the other people go every man unto his place. So the people took vittles, not victuals, look it up, vittles in their hands, and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man, unto his tent and retained those 300 men. And the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. Let's go to verse 16. He divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of the camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Yeah, that'll, that'll get them. That'll, that'll teach the enemy. <laughs> right? How do you think these soldiers are feeling? You know, the brave ones, the focused ones. So Gideon and the 300 men that were with him came to the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch and they blew the trumpets, break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands, the trumpets in their right hands to blow with all. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp and all the host ran and cried and fled. <laughs> oh my goodness. Dear Lord, I ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. Thank you so much for your word and these stories that are recorded, but help us see that it's not just a cute story. It applies to us today. We ask this for you, uh, for your sake and for your glory. Amen. You may be seated. So... What does this mean to us? Well, all Christians face battles. So we have something in common with Gideon and his men. They're facing a battle. We face battles. Physical battle for them, spiritual battle for us. America keeps going the way we're going. Physical battles will, will come soon enough. But right now we have spiritual battles. When any individual chooses to be a Christian, and you have to choose to be a Christian, you have to choose to be saved, by putting your belief in him, but then you have to choose to be a Christian. And when any individual chooses to be a Christian, that individual also chooses to be an enemy of the devil. You cannot love God without inciting the hate of the world. You cannot stand on the Lord's side and not get shot at by the devil's side. They killed our Savior. We have to expect at least for them to hate our guts, if not much worse. As Christians, we all face battles. Yea, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Every good soldier of Jesus Christ must endure hardness, Paul said, until Jesus Christ comes and finally puts an end to sin and death 
we will always face battles. I can't speak for you. And unfortunately, if the group here tonight is anything like the group here in our story, I'm not speaking for the majority of you. Now, I hope the group tonight isn't like this one. But if the group tonight here is like this group, the majority of you, I'm not speaking for when I say this. As for me, if I'm going to face battles, I, just, I don't just want to face them. I want to win them. I don't just want to engage the enemy. I want to destroy the enemy. I don't want to barely eke out a victory. I want to watch them. I want to watch them. What is it? Running and crying as they flee. I want every single devil in Corpus Christi to shake when he walks by this place because he knows there are people there who are not only willing to fight, but they're wanting to win. I don't just want to give them an opponent. I want to make them afraid of the light. But stop. Plenty of churches have wanted to win. And yet they don't, which teaches me it's not enough to want to win. Plenty of churches began wanting to win, and today they're disbanded or they've compromised with that same enemy that they started saying that they wanted to win against. Plenty of men once had great desires. Plenty of church member men had great desire to win their battle. Today, they're nothing but lazy, fruitless wastes of grace that take up their space of pew if they're in church anymore. Plenty of women once had a great desire to win, but they never saw the victory that they swore. They would have swore that they wanted at that time and that they craved it. Scattered all over this world are used-to-be churches. Made up of used-to-be people who used to have a desire to win and have victory, but they have won no victories over the enemy because they didn't realize this. There can be no victory without battle. And there can be no battle without three elements that those same people who say they desire to win try to avoid at all costs. Did that make sense? You can avoid these elements if you choose, but you won't win. We can avoid, Heritage Baptist Church can avoid these three elements if we choose, but we will not win. We'll still have a battle. You can't escape that. Unless you're so useless, the devil just leaves you alone. Is that what we want? If we're going to avoid these, we're also going to avoid victory. The reasons why many churches never, say, never see victory is because when they see victory requires these three things, they say, I'm out. I'm out. And we'll have a social gathering instead. And we'll stay our size instead. And we'll, and we'll just maintain instead. And let's lock ourselves behind the door of the church 
and be ready for when the devil attacks. He ain't attacking that church. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. We're supposed to be attacking here, right? We're supposed to be on the offensive. I'm telling you tonight, I'm in. I'm in. I want to see this building at capacity. I want to see that building at capacity. And, and further than that, you think that vision is ridiculous? I want to see bars closed in this city. Do you think we don't have an, an opportunity to do that? We do. You know, there were, there were revivals in America where, <laughs> there, this is a true story. There was a revival at one part in a, in a mining town. And the mining town had to shut down because the men lost control of the donkeys. Because the only way they had control of the donkeys before the revival was to cuss at them. After the revival, they wouldn't cuss. And the donkeys wouldn't listen. And the mining operation had to shut down because the men said, I will not cuss. That's what revival can do. I want to see the bar shut down. I want to see women and men cover up. I want to see businesses shut down on Sunday. I got convicted this last week because we needed flags and we ordered it on, Am on Amazon. And what I saw, one of them got delivered yesterday. One of them got delivered today. I will never, I will never, I will never order another thing online that forces somebody else to work on the Lord's day. What kind of testimony is that? What if somebody had invited that Amazon driver to church and they said, no, I can't because I have to deliver a Christian flag to a church. I will never do that again. I want to see drugs off the streets. I want to see the devil bound and cast out of this place, evicted from this city. I want to see the gospel of Jesus Christ light up Corpus Christi. I'm in for that. I want to know who's on the Lord's side also. And again, if this crowd is anything like this, only a handful of you will react positively and actively to this message. Only a handful. Because remember, they started with 32,000 and they ended with 300. And here's the reason why. It's easy to say I'm in. But wait a second. If you're in, it means subjecting yourself to these three elements. You cannot avoid it. First, see with me, if you're in, you will face fear. If you're in, there will be much to make you afraid. Much. Okay? You will not face a battle against the devil without fear. Now, fear does not disqualify you from the battle. God has no issue when you possess fear of the battle. God has an issue when you don't possess the willingness to fight in spite of that fear. 
When God told Gideon, proclaim in the ears of the people, whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early. I guarantee you, all 32,000 soldiers who heard that announcement possessed fear in their hearts. Because the enemy that they're about to go against numbered more than the sand of the sea. And they had 32,000. All 32,000 who heard that announcement had fear in their hearts. The 22,000 who left were not the only ones who were afraid. The 10,000 who stayed were not immune to fear. What separated the 10,000 who stayed from the 22,000 who left was not the absence of fear, but it was the presence of a willingness to fight in spite of the fear. Gideon was afraid of the battle. And God knew he was afraid of the battle. Look in verse 9. After it whittled down to the 300, and it's, it's the night of the attack, or before the attack, one of those. It came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. But if thou fear to go down, go thou, take somebody with you. Gideon was afraid, and God didn't tell him, well, you should have gone home too. God knew that Gideon was afraid, but one thing that Gideon had that the 22,000 didn't was I possess a willingness to stay in spite of the fear and fight anyway. There can be no courage without fear. If you don't have fear going up against an enemy, it's not because you're, it's just because you're insane. God doesn't mind you possessing fear. There can be no battle without fear. Timothy was afraid of his spiritual battle when he was left at Ephesus. Paul told, Paul told him in 1 Timothy, I, I told you to abide still at Ephesus so that you may teach some that they would teach no other doctrine. Timothy was left there in Ephesus as the pastor, as a young man, to combat a huge spiritual battle. And he was afraid. And when Paul found out that he was afraid, he didn't say, well, you're disqualified now. He just reminded him, I know that you're afraid, but remember, God didn't give you that spirit. God didn't give you that spirit of fear. You may be afraid, but the presence of fear must not overcome the presence of God in your life. It's okay to be afraid of the battle. The churches that see victory are not the ones who are not afraid. The churches who see victory are not the ones, certainly, who avoid anything that brings them fear. They are the ones who fight regardless of the fear. And I'm telling you, if you're in, you will face much that will make you afraid. There is no avoiding it. If you want the victory without the danger, it's impossible. It is impossible. The devil shows no quarter. He doesn't care about you. If you are with Jesus, you are against him, and he wants nothing more. In fact, he walks to and fro seeking whom he may devour. There's no avoiding it. If you're in, you will be shot at. Listen to me, and I'm going to make this as specific 
as, as I can, and you're going to need to apply it to your own life. You're going to need to think this. You will be shot at. He will not leave you alone. He will tempt you. He will try you. He will bug you. He will poke you. He will annoy you. He will frustrate you. He will kick you while you are down. If you're in, there's no avoiding that. You will be shot at. If you're in, you will watch your family be shot at. Because when he sees, I can't get him, but I'll leave his wife alone. No, he will not. You will watch your family be shot at. You will watch your kids be shot at. Do you understand that if you were all new recruits into the Marines and you're all, yeah, we're in. Simplify, baby. I'm going to stand up here. Somebody's going to stand up here and say, as soon as you get into battle, they're going to shoot at you. They want you dead. And if they invaded, if, if an army invaded here and we had to stand up and fight and take actual physical arms, Somebody would have to stand up here and say, listen, they're not going to show any quarter to you or to your family. And that is what I am telling you about the devil. If you're in, if you are on the Lord's side, you will be shot at. You're signing up to be shot at, okay? You are signing up to watch your family be shot at. You are signing up to watch your friends be shot at. If you're in, you'll have to watch people very close to you quit right in the middle of the battle. You're going to have to, you're going to, if you're in, you're going to have to watch people that you never thought would fall, fall right in the middle of the battle. If you're in, you're going to have to watch people that you care about suddenly join the other side and compromise. And it's going to hurt, sir. And it's going to hurt, ma'am. And that's why don't you ever do that. Because if, if Satan gets you, it's not just you. You are affecting other people. People who are counting on you and people who are praying for you. But if you're in, you're going to watch others change sides and try to compromise and say the devil ain't so bad. Yes, he is. Follow me around one week and see what the devil does to people that I care for the most. One week is all that you will need. You leave them alone. If you're in, you will face loneliness. You will face pain. Now, hey, you're more than welcome to leave and depart early but you'll never see the victory. But you will never see the victory without fear. I'm telling you tonight, I'm in. Now, before you give your answer, there's another. Wait, let me tell you another element that can't be avoided before you give your answer. Number two, if you're in, there is very little time to rest. When those 22,000 men were led down to the water, 21,700 thought it was time to rest. Only 300 realized we're in a battle, we're in a war, and it's not time to rest. Rest will come after the victory. Only 300 of them. And church, if you want the victory without the exhaustion, it's impossible. If you want the victory without being tired, if you want to serve in the Lord's army and have constant R&R, it's not possible, okay? It's not possible. If you're in, it requires your focus. Do you understand? It requires your focus. Because I'm asking who's in, and this is exactly what God did. Who's afraid, and who doesn't have the wherewithal and the willingness to fight in spite of their fear, and 22,000 got up and left. So I'm asking you, are you in? 
because it's going to mean fear. And you're going to have to have Holy Spirit boldness and courage in spite of that fear if you are in. But then also, do you understand what your schedule will look like if you're in? Do you understand what your life will look like if you're in? It will require your focus. Now listen to me. There will be times when you're wounded. And I need you to hear me. I need you to hear me. There will be times when you're wounded. There will be times when you need to rest and you need to resharpen your sword. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about laziness. I'm not talking about people who, who need time to rest and recuperate. And the last thing that people who are wounded need are other soldiers getting mad at them for needing time to recuperate when they are wounded. They are just as much a part of the army as you are. It is true. And let me show you why. 1 Samuel 70, 30. 1 Samuel 30. I know it's in there somewhere. Oh, here it is. Okay, context. Uh, David Dunn messed up, and he went down and he was fighting with the Philistines, living with the Philistines, telling the Philistines he was fighting for them when really he wasn't fighting for them. He would go and attack the Hittites and the Hivites, and then he would come back home, and the Philistine uh, captain would be like, hey, what'd you do today? And he'd be like, oh, attacking those Israelites and stuff, and just lying and away from the Lord, bad, 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 bad. It comes to a point where the Philistines are about to attack the Israelites and the Philistine lords see David there. What is he doing here? If we go to fight against the Israelites, all he's going to do is switch and then he's going to be in the good graces of his king again. He needs to go home. So David goes home back to Ziklag, I think it's called, and he goes back there and another army had come when David was gone and kidnapped his wife and all the kids and all the other soldiers' wives and kids, and they wanted to kill him. They wanted to stone him. David goes to pursue after this army that took all of, all of his kids and all of his people. Look at verse 9. So David went, he and the 600 men that were with him, and came to the brook Bezor, where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over to the brook Bezor. Oh, a bunch of lazy bums. No, they were soldiers, and they, they, were, they were wounded, they were tired, they needed time to recuperate. Okay? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Now watch. Now watch. They go and they win everybody back. David and those 400 win everybody back. Look in verse 20. David took all the flocks and the herds which they drave out before those other, uh, other cattle and said, this is David's spoil. And David came to the 200 men which were so faint that they could not follow David whom they had made also to abide at the brook Bezor. 
And they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. Then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial of those that went with David and said, because they went not with us, we will not give them out of the spoil that we have recovered. Save to every man his wife and his children that he may lead them away and depart. And David said, ye shall absolutely not. Ye shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us and delivered the company that came unto us into our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this manner? You've lost your mind. But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. There's going to be times where people, members of this church, are wounded and they need some time before they get back in the battle. It's straight from the devil when somebody looks at them and says, well, they're worthless then. And ye who are so spiritual, be patient with those who are fallen, because you could very well be wounded tomorrow. There will be times. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about laziness. That's a problem. And even when it is time to rest, like Jesus told the disciples, come apart and rest a while, they rested for the battle, not from the battle. And there's a difference. If you're in, however, now that I've made that caveat, if you're in, you cannot expect to focus on the battle on Sunday and then take off your armor on the weekdays for the rest of the week. You can't do that, okay? You can't do that. And listen, here's another thing. Hard times are going to come. We already talked about that in point one. And if you need some time to heal, take some time to heal. But at some point, you've got to get back up and get back in the fight. This is a battle, after all. We've got to get back in. And it's, it's required of soldiers to do that. If you're in, you must be willing to, oh, bad word, bad word I'm about to say. Sacrifice. Sacrifice the majority of your time to the battle. You have to be willing to sacrifice the majority of your treasure to the battle. You have to be willing to sacrifice the majority of your, what, what did I say? What did I say? Time? Treasure? Did I say? Oh, let me say something about that. I don't mind you having things. You, you know, God, God, God doesn't mind when you have things. But church, we, we've got a building here. We've got a building here that's costing just a little shy of $3 million. And if right now we're spending all our money on toys and stuff, Here's what I'll, I'll ask you what Haggai asked the people. Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? There will be plenty of time to have those things. Right now, people need that. That's all I'm going to say, unless you say I'm greedy. You must be willing to sacrifice the majority of your time, the majority of your treasures, the majority of your talents to the battle. Not saying there can't be time to rest, heal, regroup, renew your strength. But I am saying that if you're in, the majority of your time will be focused on fighting, not leisure. If you're in, your Sundays are not going to be coming in, sitting, going home, eating, sports, come, sit again, and then leave. That's not what your Sundays look like when you're in. It means coming early. 
It means looking to minister to people. It means greeting guests, sitting next to guests, praying all throughout the service, helping in the invitation. If you're going to go out to eat, take somebody with you. Minister with them. Come back to prayer time. Stay for the evening service. Fellowship afterwards. Well, I don't need fellowship. Maybe somebody needs yours. If you're in, that's what your Sundays look like. If you're in, your weekdays are not filled with money and toys and TV. Not if you're in. If you're in, it's filled with praying, witnessing wherever you go, and coming up here and getting involved. <coughs> Pastor, what is there to do? That's what it looks like when you're in. Always something to do. What does your Wednesday look like? If you're in, it's not rest. I know that you're tired. I know that you are. And Wednesday you work, crack a dawn until right before service starts. I know that you're tired and you can go home. If you're in, you're here. Saturday, Saturday is not beach and lawn and car and catching up on your shows. Not if you're in. If you're in, it's inviting, it's soul winning, it's preparing for Sunday. That's what your Saturday looks like if you're in. Hey, the devil doesn't take a rest because he knows his time is almost up. Our time is almost up too. Will we rest? No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please the one who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now you can choose to lay your armor down whenever you please, just like those men did at the creek. You can do that whenever you please, but you will not see victory. Those who see victory live and fight and continue exhausted. Okay? Exhausted. Again, not talking about when you're wounded, but those who are in don't say, oh, I didn't come so in because I was tired. The world is run by tired people. I'm telling you tonight, I'm in. Now, before I ask your answer, let me tell you the last one. The last difficult element that comes with the battle. If you're in, God is going to make you rely on him. No choice. God told Gideon before this purging process started, I'm not going to give you guys any reason to say at the end of the battle this was us. I'm going to prune and purge and change and remove and replace until you have to say, that was God. And if you're in, he is going to make you rely on him. So God went up to those 300 soldiers who said, I'm in, in spite of the fear, and I'm going to focus, and I'm going to sacrifice, and I'm going to remember I'm in a battle. I'm in. And God went up to those people and took away their sword and gave them a pitcher and took away their spear and gave them a trumpet. And even so, if you're in, listen to me, God every now and then is going to come up to you and he's going to remove something from your life that you would swear you needed in order to win. And he's going to replace it with something else that will force you to rely on him instead. Lastly, God took away their shields 
and he replaced them with lamps. And even so, if you're in, God will sometimes take away what you would swear you need in order to protect yourself. Like a spouse. Or a mom dies. Or your dad dies. Or a friend forsakes you. Or a church member that you really relied on suddenly is gone. Every now and then he's going to come and he's going to remove something that you swear you needed in order to protect yourself. And he's going to replace it with a shield of faith. And let me remind you, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. A shield of faith is invisible. If you're in, trust overrules tactics. Faith overrules your fighting ability. How do I know that for sure? Well, a little story called David and Goliath. The kid had no tactics. He just went up and said, I come to you in the name of the Lord. And he is not going to let some uncircumcised Philistine blaspheme his name. Goliath, with all of his stuff, David, no armor, a sling and a rock. And David killed him. David was awesome. Flat out running, kill shot with a sling. Sunk into his forehead. Why? He was a man of valor, we know that. Killed a lion and a bear with his own hands. But tactics didn't win that day. Trust won that day. Fighting didn't win that day. Faith won that day. Trust in this battle, if you're in, trust overrules tactics. Faith overrules fighting. Submission to God overrules the traditions of man. Well, this is how we always fought before. Yep, I'm taking all of that away, and I'm making you rely on me instead. If you want the victory, but you want to fight your own way, that's impossible. Lord, I want to win, but don't change my schedule. Lord, I want to win, but don't upset my status quo. Lord, I want to win, but don't remove my friends. Lord, I want to win, but don't attack our traditions and our programs here at church. Lord, I want to win, but let us do it in our own way. Do not make us trust you. Victory will not come because of your experience as a soldier. Victory will come because of your obedience as a soldier. Now, you can choose to fight your own way if you wish, but you will never see the victory. If you will see victory, you will never see victory without faith. And faith is being presented with an enemy that you fear, at a time when you're exhausted, while the cares of this world are distracting you, with weapons of warfare that are, that are not carnal, and with a shield that you cannot hold or see or even feel, and saying, I'm in. That's faith. And I'm telling you tonight, I'm in. I'm in in spite of the fear. That scares me. Every time I walk in there, how are we going to fill this place? How are we going to fill this place? How are we going to fill it with people? How are we going to fill it with our voices and singing? How are we going to fill it with sound? How are we going to fill it with fellowship and love? How are we going to fill it with the Spirit of God? That scares me over there. But I'm in. 
The storms of life scare me. Knowing that the enemy is out for me and my family scares me. Watching my family get shot at scares me. Watching my staff get shot at scares me. Watching my people get shot at scares me. Confronting problems scares me. I'm not an intimidating person. Hey! Let me tell you something! Guys, it goes against my nature. It goes against... You you need to understand that. There's an issue in our churches, okay? Many people in our churches don't want to be second, let alone last. Never realizing the entire time the person who's first never wanted to be. And and I'm I'm not first for any other reason than the Lord called me here. But confronting problems scares me. And preaching hard... Like I did this morning, I know that it looked like I enjoyed it, and part of me did. Every time I preach like that, people leave. That's more tears, more crying, more of a burden. I'm scared of that. I'm scared of making decisions that hurt or confuse. The buck stops here, and that scares me. But God didn't give me that spirit of fear but of love and power and of sound mind. Do you know what I fear more than all those things? Losing. Losing. Having to stand before God and him say, dude, you did nothing. You didn't make a dent in Corpus Christi. God help me know. The pastors who saw God do great things were not the ones who weren't afraid. They were the ones who didn't let fear stop them from fighting anyway. So I'm in, in spite of the fear. And I'm in, although it means exhaustion. I would rather be consumed in the battle for truth than comforted on the sidelines of complacency. And I am in, even though it means my way must die. I don't always agree with this. And I don't always see it. But Lord, give me grace. I'd rather blow a trumpet that the Lord gave me than swing around a sword that was forged in the furnace of my own will. And I would rather wield a torch that the Lord gave me than hold a spear that he told me to put down. And I would rather break a pitcher that the Lord gave me than take a shield with me that proves to him I don't trust him. I'm in. And I expect the victory because my Lord doesn't lose. He just doesn't lose. All I have to do is follow All I have to do is follow. I'm in. Who else is on the Lord's side? Now listen, you don't prove that by a raise of hand. You don't prove that by a time at the altar. Although I hope you would raise your hand. And I hope that you would come down. You don't prove that by a got your back, pastor. Even though I appreciate that very much. I'll tell you next Sunday what it means to be in. And what it looks like. But for now, you can't be in without these three things. Fear. What's the second one? My goodness. I had, I had, I had uh, three F's. Focus. God bless you. Fear, focus, faith. Are you in? Hey, before you raise your hand, and before you come down to the altar, remember... 
you're going to have to face a lot of things that make you afraid. It means a lot of your time being spent for this and not for me. And it means trusting him, which is a lot easier said than done. So I want to know. I want to know. And I don't need a decision tonight. I'd rather you think about it for a little bit. I'd rather you think about it. So think about it now and pray for it. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.